Well, we want to welcome all of you to church today, and um, uh, there's just a, a lot of wonderful things happening today and want you to be a part of it. But uh, we do want also to share the message with you this um, special day. And, um, you know, I'm going to be speaking to all of you from uh, Matthew chapter 4, and it's kind of a lengthy passage, and so you could open it up and follow along as I go. And... Um, you know, the topic I want to share with you about today is this desire for joy, right? All of us want more joy. Um, all of us would love to have more joy in our lives. I mean, think of everything you do, every decision you make is based on that, to become more joyful, right? I mean, the clothes you're wearing, the car you drove today, um, you know, the, every decision you make is to gain more joy. And think about this, and we, we have these milestones and we say, boy, I would be just that much more joyful if I could work at that place. Or I could be that much more joyful if I could get into that school. Um, boy, and if I, you know, and the, the reason that, you know, we eat what we eat is to be more joyful. The reason we travel to where we go is to become more joyful. The reason we learn something new is because we're promised that there's some kind of joy in that. Um, and the reason that you, you know, drank that thing or that you hung out with those people or you dated that girl or you married that guy or you decided to have these kids and more than one and you wanted to have another one or whatever it is, all of that ultimately is this pursuit of joy. All humanity, I think that's the one passion that we all have is we want to be more joyful. And we say, well, if I could have that job, if I could have that house, if I could live in that zip code, you know, if I could earn and have that position or that, those letters behind my name, if I could finish that degree, we all are promised that it is some kind of joy. But you know what? We all know, too, as you live a little, they all fade away a little bit. And as more time goes on, um, less of it becomes uh, a more appealing, you know, the idea of, uh, and we have to ask ourselves, what is our, what do we daydream about? You know, what do we really want in life? And uh, here, you know, uh, I want to share a quote with you from Blaise Pascal, inventor, mathematician, uh, uh, physicist, theologian. And he wrote this. He says, "There's no other happiness than God and ourselves united to him. Think about that for a moment. There's no other happiness than God and ourselves united to him. Now here is arguably one of the smartest men in the history of mankind who has came to this conclusion. There's no other happiness other than God and man being united to him. But yet, the world keeps telling us, well, there's a lot of different joys. And you know, uh, it's interesting. You know, you get to Hebrews chapter 12, and there is a section of scripture. Uh, there's a verse there. It talks about Jesus going to the cross, and it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, let's, let's think for a moment. You say, enduring the cross, blood, death, pain, denial, rejection, um, all of those things are there. And Good Friday, we, we remembered it was somber. Uh, we went through the gospel story again. But we know, we, and, but how could the word joy be in the same verse? How could joy be mentioned of Christ going to the cross? You might say, after it's done, when he's resurrected and goes to be with his father. But he says, no, going to the cross. The journey there was the joy that was set before him. It's, it's because, and it's interesting because, 
Satan knows our hearts. Satan knows the heart of all humans and says, well, let me see if I could tempt them away. The, The joy that we, the happiness that we can have. There's none found other than God and ourselves united to him. And Satan comes along and says, well, let me see. And there are these three areas of where we look for joy, right? Pleasure, power, security. We say, if I could have those things, and we think about it, the reason we work so hard is so that I could have those three things because we think those three things, pleasure, power, and security, if I could have those three things guaranteed, I'll be joyful. My family will be happy. It's not the security in itself. It's not the power in itself. It's not even the pleasure itself. It's what those things mean and bring, that they will now make me joyful. And so they're the instruments of our joy. And Satan comes to Jesus three years before the crucifixion, in the beginning of his ministry, and he tempts Jesus in the wilderness. And those of you who've gone to church and know the story, you know that he tempts him in these three ways, that he was fasting for 40 days in prayer, getting ready for his public ministry, and Satan and him have this um, dialogue. And Satan comes to him and tempts him. And these are the three temptations, right? Number one, he says, is the temptation uh, for pleasure. He says, this is what it says in verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. If you've been in church, you've heard this, you've read this many, many times. Now think about this. He's fasted for 40 days. And now he's going to go and take this. He says, take this bread. Can you imagine what kind of bread Jesus would and could make? Yeah, you know, I love going to restaurants where they give you free bread, right? I'm the guy that says, you know, when the waitress says, would you like more bread? I'm like, of course. You know, like, it's, um, it's empty, of course. And then the third time, are you sure you want more bread? Yes, you know. Um, but it depends where you go, all right? There are certain places the bread is hot. Like, it is so hot you could barely touch it, and it's steaming, and the butter is just melting on it. And you're like, you know what? Forget the meal. I'll just eat the bread, right? I mean, it's so good. There are some places... One place that I, I just, I don't like the bread, and I don't know if they change it, is CPK, right? CPK, they give this hard, rigid bread with a frozen stick of butter, and I'm like, you know, sawing it on there, and you're trying to spread it apart. You're like, forget it, and just eat the bread, eat the butter, drink some water. <laughs> drink some water so I can swallow. But it's still bread. And they say, would you like some more bread? Yeah, why not? I, you know, I, <laughs> bring some water so I can swallow that bread, right? Um, can you imagine the bread that he would make? Can you imagine how hungry he was? Uh, That's um, an obvious. But the temptation that Satan comes to Jesus with, Jesus 100% God, 100% man, he comes to him with this idea of pleasure to fulfill your physical needs. And he says, take this. And we have to understand this. And the temptation here is not just about the type of bread, if it's warm or cold or not, but the temptation here was regarding this is that you are only concerned about your physical life, not your spiritual life. And that was the biggest concern. That was the biggest temptation. And we often think, boy, if my physical pleasures are great and I have a bunch of experiences and I could eat this and drink this and go there and be with them and all the wonderful things that we say physical pleasures bring, if that's where joy comes from, no, it's not. Jesus denies it because there's something greater. You know, the, the, he says, you know, and Jesus responds to him, man shall not live by bread alone. 
uh, Leon Morris, as he uh, writes in the commentary in Matthew, he says, a life sustained by bread only is a very poor life. I mean, isn't this true? But the world around us keeps telling us, you need more. You should have more. And often they use fear and scare tactics to make us think, if I had more, my life would be better. There's an article I read about how uh, marketing around us uses these scare uh, tactics to make us buy things. And the examples they gave in this Harvard Business Journal uh, article was some of these examples. And I thought it was interesting. Number one was right after 2001, the September 11th attack in New York. GM came out with the Hummer line. You remember Hummer back then? If you were somebody, if you were someone important, if you were, you know, uh, you know, an athlete or a rapper or someone rich, you, you had a Hummer, right? And, but the marketing that they had behind this was a picture of a family driving a Hummer and the world is falling apart. And they said, the Hummer will keep you safe even if the world is falling apart, right? This is right after September 11th. So what does everyone do? Oh my gosh, if I can just get a Hummer, then the world could fall apart, but we'll be safe. Me and my kids will be safe. And everyone's going to get it. And at that time, it's interesting, you know, I had a GMC, not a Hummer, it was like a wannabe Hummer. It was a Jimmy, right? It was like a little SUV. And I remember going to get service done at the GMC and every car that was in there getting serviced was a Hummer. And I was like, what kind of car is this? You know, anyway, so that's, um, I still have that recollection. But it's the fear. Another uh, tactic that was used was by a vacuum company, Dyson Vacuum Company. And they put the fear of dust mites into usually the moms. And they said, these dust mites, these evil dust mites will kill you, you know, like they, your kids will breathe it, your dog will breathe it, you know, and they will now just struggle and your life will be horrible. You need to get a Dyson vacuum because they take care of dust mites. And so their uh, sales shot up. I think about this, if, you're, if you have a Hoover and you're watching that and you love your child and you love your spouse, you're like, ah, you know, I'm gonna just put down the 400 bucks, I gotta get a Dyson, because these evil enemies are in my carpet and I'm just gonna now get, I mean, it, it, it tapped into all of us. And then the last example they gave, I thought was very ef- effective, because even as I was reading the study, the article, I felt like I needed to get it. They, they, um, years back, uh, Bear Aspirin did an ad, and the ad was this, your heart attack is two hours away, right? What are you gonna do? Bear, right? And so, uh, even reading this, I thought, oh, two hours. I have time to go get some aspirin. I should take some aspirin if it is two hours away. And their sales shot up. And so, this idea, but we live by this. And the world around us preaches it to us. You need to have more. What if you run out? What if you're not safe? You need to have all of these things. Theologians talk about the dichotomy of the human being, body and soul, body and soul. You are not just the body, but you are a soul. You are intertwined together, and so if your soul is dissatisfied, it'll affect your body. If your body is healthy, but your soul is now ignored, your body will suffer. And it's, it's two parts, but you're one. And we cannot just say, all I long is for physical bread in my life, the pleasures that taste good and feel good for the moment. 
And this is why Jesus over and over, you know, talks about, the, for example, he, he says, you know, uh, what, what, what good is to gain the whole world yet forfeit or lose your soul, right? Paul tells Timothy that uh, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for life after life eternal. It has more value. It's the idea that, yeah, you are a physical being, and there are physical pleasures that are all good and created by God, but you're also a spiritual being. You have a soul. Are you going to take care of that side? Are you going to remember that you are not a temporal being that just needs the daily pleasures of the day, but you are a spiritual, eternal being created in the image of God? As Ravi Zacharias said this, I am absolutely convinced that meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. And that is why we find ourselves emptied of meaning with our pantries still full. And Jesus overcomes that temptation. Jesus is tempted, secondly, to find joy in having power. Um, this whole picture, he says in verse 5, Jesus took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and he said to him, to you I'll give you this authority and their glory, and it has been delivered to me, and I'll give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's interesting. He takes him to see all the kingdoms, all the peoples, and he says, you could have this power. All you got to do is bow down to me. You could have this power. The lure of power, the assumption that the more power I have, the more joyful I will be. I mean, look at this. You look on TV today. I'll just put it bluntly. I mean, how many old, you know, like how many couples do you see? Like, what is she doing with that grandpa? Like, you know, we've seen them all. What is she doing with that guy who is 35 years older? What is she doing with him? Why? Because he's a nice grandpa, you know, like, oh, like, oh, because he knows a lot of things or he's got a lot of stories. No, he's got power. He somehow could sing or he used to throw a ball well or he makes a lot of money. He's got a lot of power and there's an attraction to that. But can we have power enough? Is that what we were created for? Um, here, he says, bow down to me and I'll give you everything. And th this is very um, important. What Satan does is he uses the gods around us. And he says, if you do this for the gods, you will get the goods. This is what religion is today. And, and so whatever religion it is, it says, hey, you know, if you do A, B, and C, if you go to the gods and you go through this ritual and you offer these things or you say this kind of prayer, you're going to get the goods. And you know what? This attracts tens of thousands of people because they all want their best life now. I just want something good now. What is the formula? Where do I have to go? What do I have to say? What do I have to chant? What do I have to give? How can I use the gods around me so I can get all the goods? And unfortunately, many have perverted the gospel even to say, you know, if you come to Christ and you do it this way, if you give in this way, you're going to get a hundredfold. And some of us have been to churches like that. We've seen it on TV where we say, hey, this is now the promise. And the fixation is not on God himself, but it is on the goods. It's on the power. And yet we fall to this often. It is Malcolm Muggeridge who I quote, he says, I never met a, man, a rich man who was happy, but I have only very, very occasionally met a poor man who did not want to become a rich man. 
I mean, isn't this true? You know, the, the law of diminishing returns, you know, if you're going to, you know, drink this boy in, in order to feel that you next time you got to drink two of them or three of them. And if you're going to, you know, uh, take this pill, you can't just take one. Now you need to take two because it wears off on you. And it's same with money and same with power. And there was a study done um, by Daniel Kahneman, a Nobel, uh, Nobel Prize winning psychologist. And he, he came up with this study. And uh, the simple part of it is, is he says, those in America who make now at $75,000, which for many of us, we say, oh, it's not a lot of money. If you can make $75,000 a year, he says, from that point on, your le the level of joy it just plateaus. So the person who makes 75, the person who makes 200, the person who makes a half a million, their level of joy, the things that they do in life is pretty much the same. Now, of course, being in poverty and not being able to have food and those things, their level is lower. But at a certain point, and most of us will look at that and say, boy, that's not even that much. I have goals way higher than that. I think if I can have more, I have more power and I would be more joyful. But he says around 75,000, it all just kind of tapers off in this way. And we look for this kind of joy. You know, we are eternal beings. Uh, and we see this even in our childhood. As you're growing up, you are satisfied with the simplest of things. We did a baptism. I did a bunch of baptisms this morning at our Brea 930 service. One child came up. This is the first time ever. A child came up. Beautiful uh, baby girl came up with a bowl of Cheerios, right? And she was eating Cheerios as I'm baptizing her. And it was this, it was this moment. And I was like, you know, I thought I was doing communion with Cheerios. And it was just this, uh, just very, but she was so content. We just got her Cheerios. I remember when Carissa was about a year and a half, someone gave me a ticket. They said, you know, I think this has, you, you family of three at the time, you guys could go into Disneyland. It has uh, enough for two more people to go in. I said, really? They said, yeah, you could have it. Go, go have a good time. And she's one and a half, so she doesn't fully understand. She, I know she's not gonna remember this, but, and I was like, hey, we can go. You know, there's enough for two people to go in. She can go in free. I said, yeah, we're going to go to Disneyland. And she was like, yay, Disneyland. She didn't know what it is really, but she was excited. I think my wife was more excited. You know, I was just got to do my duties. I got to go to Disneyland, you know, as a dad. And we get there. And I said, oh, you know, this guy gave me this uh, thing. He says it'll, it'll get two. And I throw it and go, beep. And he goes, oh, that's expired. I said, no, 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 no. I said, he wouldn't give me this and then bring me all the way here and put me in an awkward situation. Like, just try it again. Beep. He goes, oh, it's, it's all used up. You can't use this. And there's that moment of time, and I look at the price list, and I was like, how much is this for me to go in there right now? And it was 4 o'clock, and, and, and I looked at my wife, I said, and then she was like, what? And I turned around, and I told Carissa, all right, we're here. And then we were just walking around downtown Disney, and now she thought we were in Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my confession, and we, we go, they have a Lego store. Look, we're going to go into the Lego ride area, let's go. And, she was so excited, and then, look, you know, over there they have, uh, you know, fake animals and an aquarium in that restaurant. Let's go over there, wow. And then 30 minutes, all right, we're going to go home. Did you like it? I, yeah, I liked it. And I was like, she's not going to remember this, you know? I was like, I am so smart. She's not going to remember this. She was so satisfied. Now she's 15 and a half, and really she loves me, but the last thing she wants to do is go to Disneyland with her old man and hang out. You know, I could say, you want to go to Disneyland? With who, right? <laughs> with daddy? And she's like, are you okay, dad? No, you know, and um, things change. We grow older. And we as eternal beings want 
bigger things. So our toys that start small, our satisfaction that used to come and just playing with the cardboard box that the toy came in, now we want bigger things. Maybe a car, maybe a house, uh, maybe a trip here. Maybe these things will bring me joy. Lastly, we see that the, the, this temptation of joy, it comes in this false promise of security here on earth. And don't we all want that? We talk about retirement and security, and really there is that fear factor in that as well. And it says here, uh, verse 9, And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He, and he quotes the Bible verse, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is, writ- it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to test, to the test. And he says, don't you want some security? Don't you want to know that if you jump off, God will catch you, that you matter? Um, you know, following God. And we have a false notion that if I follow Jesus, life will be smooth sailing. And the most devoted Christians, the men and women of faith that I know, have often had the bumpiest of journeys. Those who go in with the wrong expectation when life gets hard, they go to God and say, God, why is this happening? God, are you there? How can this happen? But those who understand the journey with God entails whatever he sends, that he is sovereign. You know, the... Uh, uh, Tennis star Boris Becker, um, in an interview, was talking about the, at the brink, at the pinnacle of his tennis uh, career. He had just won the second of two Wimbledons. In the first one, he was the youngest ever. And everyone knew him, and everyone was in awe of him. And he talked about the desire to commit suicide. And he says this, he says, I had won the Wimbledon twice, once as the youngest player. I was rich, I had all the material possessions I needed. And he says, it's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything and yet they are so unhappy. I had no inner peace, I was a puppet on a string. And we can easily, once we get there, think, is this it? And none of us really feel like, do I have enough? An article in the Atlantic, um, they interviewed 165 households um, who were very rich. Uh, Their worth was over 25 million. There were those who were even billionaires and they responded anonymously. And they asked the question, do you feel like you make enough money? 25 million to billionaires, okay? For us, when you hear 25 million to billionaires, it all kind of sounds the same. It's like, it's wow, you know, you don't have to work and worry a day in your life. And most of them responded by saying that they do not feel secure and that if they made 25% more than what they were making at that time, then they would feel secure. You say, are they out of their mind? Are these people crazy? You know, uh, what are they thinking? Um, I would settle for one, and they're talking about 25, they're talking about 50, 100 million. They say, if I could make 25% more income, then they would feel secure. We never have enough. Why? Because we innately are humans who are eternal beings. 
And we have now a desire for things that are eternal. And when we continually try to find security and satisfaction and all the temporary things, what happens is we say, I don't think it's going to last forever. I don't think it's going to last me forever. But the only thing that will ultimately last forever is our Lord Jesus Christ, the words that he says to us, the eternal now security we have in him. And I, I'm not saying, hey, give away everything or don't do anything fun and be, no, those things are all good. But if you go to that for meaning and you go to your pleasures for the joys in life, you will be disappointed quickly. The only one who can satisfy us completely, eternally, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel message. And Jesus is saying, I come to give you life, not the life that the world gives you, but a life that is abundant. So when life now goes down, and when circumstances now go down, and things go bad, and I lose some money, or I lose this, it's okay. Because I have something in eternity, in Him. And so we put our faith in Him, and we learn to have joy in Him. And I close with this uh, thought, you know, announcement in a way. You know, starting next week, we're going to go through the book of Philippians. A man in jail writing about joy. And I want to ask you to come out, to be a part of it, to grow in that. How can a man who is in prison talk about joy in the Bible? What does that mean? And we're going to talk about that. And don't we want that kind of joy? And today, so as we have a good time, as you go out and enjoy your uh, taqueria de anda, and you're eating that burrito, and it's tasting good, before you swallow, I want you to think, boy, this is fleeting. There's something greater than this. <laughs> right? Enjoy that taco. But I want you to think, there's something greater than this. And would you walk away finding your joy in Christ? Let's pray together. God, we are so humbled at this thought that you love us this way. And so, God, we want to now um, be that joyful. Teach us, God, um, that we need more than daily physical bread, that we need more than what the eye can see, but we need you. We are eternal beings made in the image of God and the need of a Savior. We need you. We need you. You give us now meaning and purpose, so we follow you. We thank you for dying on the cross. We thank you for the power of the resurrection that is in us. And God, we want to live for you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.